and thank you for joining us on Giving Voice to Depression. I'm Bridget. And I'm Terry. More than 350 million people worldwide suffer from depression, but you do not have to have it yourself to be affected by it. Its prevalence pretty much guarantees that someone you care about battles its darkness. This podcast tries to shine some light into that darkness. We're not experts and we're not therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and who are committed to encouraging healthy, healing conversations about mental illness. Season three of this podcast is sponsored by the Charles E. Kubley Foundation, which supports efforts to reduce the stigma of mental illness. We are solely responsible for podcast content. Happy New Year, Terry. Hello, Bridgie. Happy New Year to you. We speak regularly or maybe even preach (laughs) about the need to listen to someone who chooses to open up to you about depression or any other mental health struggle. Absolutely. And there's a quote that I really like that says, being heard is so close to being loved that for many people, they are indistinguishable. I love that. And another one is that the most basic and powerful way to connect to another person is to listen. Just listen. And perhaps the most important thing we can ever give each other is our attention. She says a long silence often has far more power to heal and to connect than the most well-intentioned words. So with all that in mind, we sat down with Robert, who is a trained listener. He studied psychology, is a retired teacher, and he worked for years at a crisis hotline. He was a supervisor, a listener, and a trainer. Let's listen as Robert gives his voice to depression. I think you have a very unique perspective because you not only have experienced depression yourself, so you understand and know it from the inside, but you work in mental health and talk to people every day you're at work who have some mental illness themselves and often depression. So how does that dual perspective help you understand this issue in a way that a lot of people don't? Well, I think the reason that I might be effective in doing what I do is because not only have I experienced it, but I think I've been able to figure out to me what that mental illness experience means to me and thinking, why am I having this experience? And you have to be at a healthy frame of mind to start asking those higher level questions. And hopefully, ultimately, all people will find a way that the spiritual level that they deal with and their belief system, how mental illness has fit into it and why maybe it's a message to them about how to direct their life in general, not just seek treatment and feel better. If I hadn't experienced depression and anxiety as a lifelong companion, I don't really feel that I would truly understand. Lifelong companion. That is a really interesting way to say it as opposed to a parasite or a you know, disease or an illness or a a foe. Why do you describe depression as an anxiety as lifelong companions? I think it's in my life for a reason. And would I ask for it to be gone? I don't know. I think in some ways it, it shapes who you are what your entire life experience, whether it's a disease, whether it's a accomplishment, some kind of triumph, they're going to color and shape who you are as a person. That concept that living with depression gives one a different perspective, empathy, compassion, patience. Those are things we didn't expect to hear from so many of the guests we've talked to. We'd have bet that 100% of the people we'd talked to would want to be 100% rid of their depression. 
And I think my deep knowledge and empathy about mental illness is giving me satisfaction in life right now by being able to turn it around and help others because I've gotten it under control in my life. But it doesn't go away. It's a chronic condition and you can manage it. I think in some cases you can probably get rid of it, eliminate it by treatment. But it, for me, I think it's it's something that's going to be there. I think it's become a wired part of my brain, but it can be a well-controlled wire. So how does someone who trains hotline volunteers to support callers advise us to be there for friends, family members, or other people in our lives who are struggling? I think the first way and the most immediate is to be there to listen to them. They need a chance to vent. They need a chance to talk about what they're experiencing. And the listening part is a a tremendous gift because there are so very, very few people who will do that for somebody else without feeling the need to interject some kind of advice. And when you talk about advice, is it the kind we all get and hate the, you know, A, you don't have any reason to be depressed, just get outside, you need to put, you know, that kind of advice or, or just avoid it all unless it's specifically asked for? I think the most immediate kind is the kind you described where people are going to say, just get over it, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I think a lot of people, because they're uncomfortable or not knowledgeable about what that person's going through, they feel like they almost need to deflect it. They'll listen for a little while and just say, sounds to me like you just need a good dose of reality or something like that. Well, let's face it, that is their reality and it is a huge dose of it and it it isn't a very pleasant dose. So those kind of things you write off. It's the more insidious kind of good friends who mean well but still don't understand that they need to find their path, not follow yours. If you're centered in in yourself, not on yourself, but in yourself, you can listen and not feel the need to try to provide direction for them based on how you're understanding it, not on what their needs are. And just pull back and just listen. And also, if you're really good at that part of it, you can reflect back to them what they're saying and saying, well, you're telling me you're suffering and medications haven't worked. Have you talked to somebody recently because new medications are coming out all the time and always pose it as a question and come in sideways. And you'll find out a lot of things. And and if you're rebuffed, then be sensitive to that and just go back into that listening mode. And what about the things that are not guidance specific, but are, I can't change your life, but I can sit with you. You know, I'm here. You're not alone. Are those just platitudes or do they help? No, those are very, very helpful. Knowing that I'm here for you, I'm here for you now, I'm here for you when you need me. And sometimes you have to put some self-protective boundaries up because there are people who are truly needy and, and not on some kind of path to getting better oftentimes will start relying on you to the point maybe they call you at work, maybe they call you at dinner time, maybe they call you in the middle of the night. You have to set boundaries you're comfortable with immediately. I think that's very, very important. And not stridently giving them a list of 10 things they shouldn't do in seeking your listening services. But (laughs) instead, when you feel those boundaries might be crossed, then you need to state right away, well, I want to be here for you. I can't always answer your phone calls, but here's a phone number of someplace that I know is really good that they'll be able to help you out in those times that I'm not around. Something like that. Good. Robert says while local and national hotlines offer all kinds of support and resources to callers, one of callers' primary needs is hope. 
I think that depression and anxiety are like a blanket that smother hope. And every human being needs hope. We need that. That's that little light that carries us forward to the end of our lives. And our lives are are meaningful whether we know it or not. There, There is meaning in every single life of every single living creature on earth, including all humans. We need to get in touch with what that is. Once we connect with the fact that, yes, our life has meaning, even though we are unaware of it and just concerned with the suffering we're going through, once we find that meaning, the path becomes more clear and we're willing to do what we need to do to ultimately take care of ourselves, i.e. medication, therapy, developing support systems. And that's why I enjoy doing the work that I do, because we are that, that front line, first door that they can open. And so it's a real important job. We're, we're the first people who are going to illuminate that hope for these folks who call us. And I can totally believe you today. And I'm seeing the sun and I'm sitting here with you. And I know that there have been days that if you said that to me, I would have thought blah, 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 blah. You know, I would have not been able to take that in. I would have been laying in bed while you said that and probably tears coming down my cheeks, but you wouldn't hear them and just think, yeah, for you, you know, you're wrong. Well, it's so hard when it's, when you're, you know, in the actual darkness to to believe that, that sounds... That's why it, when you're in the light, you can't forget about what that darkness is like. And remember that you need to have that support system in place. And it won't function 100% every day. That person who you need to talk to might not be available. Your medications, maybe you need an increase in the dosage or a new one. Or maybe you're not taking any at all. Um, maybe you're, thera- you're between you're 30 days away from your next therapy appointment. It could be any of those things. Or it could be just that you have seasonal affective disorder and cloudy days are going to make you more prone to it. But the bottom line is it's important to have that support system. And maybe you'll have a day or two like that, but then you're going to reach out knowing that that's there. And while those important conversations are the more one-on-one private connections, more and more people are sharing their experiences publicly through forums like This Is My Brave, The Mighty's online site, and this podcast. I think one person stepping forward is amazing because every one person who tells their story is going to tell a slightly different story. And we're going to see this mosaic being put together, this patchwork quilt being put together, and we're going to start seeing this bigger picture and realize how many people are really touched by mental illness, whether it's suffering from it or knowing somebody close by who is suffering from it. We're going to see there are really a lot of people out there that have kept that quiet all these years, but really are affected. So how does the other side of the coin, how does hearing a story, if you're not ready or willing, if one is not ready or willing to share their story, how would hearing someone else's benefit them and the movement in general? Well, I think if you're in the condition to tell the story, you're at a place that you can feel comfortable doing that means you are on some kind of path to becoming whole. If you're actually out in in telling the story in a public venue, whether it's in a blog or whether it's at a public event or in the media, if you're doing that, you're on some kind of path to recovery if you're telling your own story. And so therefore, that is going to be very eye-opening for the person hearing it because they're going to hear that this person who's on that path, possibly they're working again, maybe they're pursuing a degree, they've reconnected with people in their lives, they're going to see, wow, this person is quote-unquote functional in society. How did they get there? That's amazing. I would have never had any idea that they were going through this. 
And that's powerful. That's very powerful to hear that because then you start looking around going, gee, I wonder if how many people in this room are suffering from something themselves. I wonder how many people are that I know might be. And when we realize just how huge that number is, that according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, about one in every five adults in the U.S. experiences mental illness in a given year, well, we might just realize this is something we have to talk and learn about, both of which will reduce the stigma that keep people silent, isolated, and reluctant to ask for needed help. I think a reduction in stigma will be accompanied by increased community services. I think when the public perception of mental health is, oh, it's a disease of the brain versus a character disorder, you're going to find people more willing to support it, just like they've come out of the woodwork to support various physical illness. You have the Alzheimer's walk, you have Parkinson's walks, you have all kinds of cancer support systems out there for both money and moral support. And that kind of support system is just in its infancy for mental health. It's it's happening. But stigma, again, is still alive and well. We have a lot of work to do still. It really is two sides to a coin, isn't it, Terry? Listening and talking. Absolutely, and both benefit greatly. I love that he said listening is a gift. That's what we're calling the episode. Oh, really? Perfect. Yeah, it is really nice. And it is a gift. Think of how just more valued and understood you feel when someone does truly listen, not listen to wait their turn to talk. And I also appreciate that if we don't have to give advice, then we can all do it because you don't have to be, you know, witty or wise or, you know, able to perform some feat of incredible support right in the moment. You just have to listen and that that we can do. That we can all do. Absolutely. And and one of the things that I learned training to work at that same hotline is one of the ways you can reflect understanding is you use the same intensity of words when you reflect back what they said. So if somebody's just not talking about depression here, but if they were, you know, just saying some annoying thing that had happened during the day, you say, oh, it sounds like you were really frustrated. You don't say you must have been enraged because that's not what they're communicating. But conversely, if, you know, they're really, really you know, having a a very, very hard time with their depression and they're debilitated by it or even possibly suicidal, you don't say, you sound a little blue, you know, Mm -hmm. so you you try to match it. And that's uh, one way to keep the conversation going and communicate that you're actually understanding the level on which they're communicating. That's good. Robert said that depression and anxiety are like a blanket that smothers hope. And my wish for you, Terry, and myself, and all of our listeners in this new year is that we explore for ourselves that ever-changing definition of what hope is for us. Nice. And we hope that you will join us in this new year. And if you could subscribe to the podcast on our website, there's a button and you can just simply click it. If you'd like to join us with our Facebook community, please do at Giving Voice to Depression. And just remember, we're here for you and we're here with you. And may your new year be filled with hope. Hope and mental health. We hope that our podcasts bring about a little more understanding or help people articulate their experience of depression a little more. And thanks to each and every person who's digging deep and finding the words and finding the courage to give voice to depression. And you can find our podcasts on our website, givingvoicetodepression.com as well as on iTunes, where we hope you will subscribe, rate, and respectfully comment. 
And please remember, if you're hurting, speak up. If someone else is hurting, listen up.